forever. The nations will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, uh, we pray that uh, your word would go out and, and help, uh, help us to understand what it means to dwell in your presence and to, uh, to really enjoy the promise that you've given us, that you will dwell with us that you will guide us in our struggles, and that even when you feel distant, that we feel that you are distant from us, that your promise is eternal, and it will never fade. Okay, in your son's name. Amen. 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 Ezekiel 37, 27 through 28, is more than just a sentimental statement about God being there for you in hard times. The power of Ezekiel's statement is better understood in contrast with what Israel has lost. At this point in history, God's people are an embarrassment in the world's eyes. And this is not in a not of this world, I'm being persecuted kind of way, but rather they are a nation that once showed great promise, had a great history of leadership, but now they're divided into two kingdoms and those two divided kingdoms are conquered. God's people no longer look like God's people because not only did they lose the land that kept them together, but generations of wicked and hypocritical leadership made them lose a sense of who their God was. In Ezekiel 37, we find the prophet reminding a morally corrupt and divided Israel that God will remain faithful to his covenant promises, even as Israel is overwhelmed by the thought of God's presence leading them. So today's main message will be trust in God's presence even when you feel he is distant. Trust in God's presence, even when you feel He is distant. In order to appreciate the presence of God in this passage, we'll first look at God's people without God's presence, then we'll look at God's people with God's presence. God's people without God's presence. As far back as Genesis, we see God's presence being expressed through a burning bush, a pillar of fire, and so much more. And as we go through into Exodus, we see the presence of God dwelling amongst the wandering Israelites as it was encamped in a tent. Israel had a sense of what was encased in that ornate box, as they themselves witnessed God's presence as a pillar of fire in their midst. And they also knew about the rules of not touching the box, lest they be killed for doing it. And so whatever was in there, the Israelites understood that it was not a matter to take lightly. It was the presence of God. Fast forward a few centuries and you have the presence of God moving around and we come to David, King David, who is tasked with building a house for this presence of God. And ultimately his son finishing that project of building the temple. This temple that housed the presence of God became a centerpiece for all of Israel's social, political, and personal life. And in that very center of that temple was this mysterious ornate box that housed God's presence. And as we move forward again to the time of Ezekiel, uh, what we see is God's people divided and conquered and dispersed. And in a worldly sense, there is no God's people because there is no land. And what about God's presence? We see in Ezekiel chapter 8 through 11, a long, drawn-out vision of God's presence leaving the temple and settling in a mountain to the east. 
So when you consider the state of Israel at this point, there is no land, there is no king, there is no identity, and there is, in a sense, no God, because his presence had left. So you can begin to piece together how, how an Israelite might be feeling and thinking about God's promises that he made to them of land, of having a king, and being God's people. If you were, look, if you were to look into the mind of an Israelite at this time, it would be fertile ground for doubts around God's desire to fulfill his promises toward them. And it's this kind of thinking where Ezekiel speaks to them in verses 27 through 28. And that takes us to God's people with God's presence. In verse, verses 27 through 28, God is sending a reminder of his desire to remain faithful to his promises, despite Israel having broken the covenant time and time again. But in here, we can also find in these verses that God is reminding us that he has been faithful to allow us to take partake in these blessings as well. So look, let's look down into verse 27 and see how God intends to encourage his broken people who feel that he is distant. It reads in verse 27, My dwelling place shall be with them. This is God reminding Israel that his presence has not permanently left and will return, but it is also God reminding us that we have received a partial fulfillment of this blessing, and we can see that in 1 Corinthians 6.19, where Paul writes to the church, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. This is a reminder for us that his presence forever remains in his people. You can also read in John chapter 14, Jesus speaking, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Let's continue reading in verse 27. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is God reminding Israel that he will continue to be their God, and they will continue to be his people. They will not lose their identity in God, and God will not reject them forever. But this is also God reminding us that he had chosen us as his people. We read earlier this morning in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Israel caught a glimpse of hope in hearing God say, I will be their God in verse 27. We are given a full sense of God's desire to not only make us his people, but to give us all the privileges and access to him that once belonged to the priesthood. The privilege of being heard in prayer, of hearing God speak through his words, and the encouragement of fellow believers. As we continue on to verse 28, it reads, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. This is God reminding Israel that his presence will redeem and cleanse Israel, and the watching world will know that it was God working in them. 
God will be made known to the nations by seeing his work that he does in Israel. But it is also God reminding us that he has united us with Jesus so that the watching world would know his love for us. We read in John 17, 23, as Jesus prays to the Father, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Here is Jesus in John 17, the very presence of God, advocating for us before the Father that we would be united with him. That is that we would not only be cleansed of our sin, but that our battle, even with present sin, will never end in our final defeat. And in that victory, a watching world will witness uh, the glory of God. I think here we see just another reason why hiding your sin is not only a detriment to you personally, but it's also a willful rejection of God's work in you, of being able to allow God to work in you, allowing others to see how God is working in your life. This passage has been a great reminder to me that God's promises are not distant, far-flung promises that have no real application until His second coming. And I hope you can also see that God's promises for the future bear these present blessings. In closing, I want to speak to any non-Christians. What does all this talk about God's presence make you feel? What does it make you think of? Perhaps it's the lack of witnessing God's physical presence that makes you struggle. Or, or maybe it's some sort of spiritual experience that you're hoping for that will make you understand who God is. My response to that is that God does intend to make his presence known to you. As early as Genesis, you can read about God physically walking in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. His presence in the Garden made it the eternal paradise we often hear about, not just the place of carnal pleasures being granted to you and every wish that you ever had being granted, but rather it's a place of no pain, of no suffering, no injustice, and no evil. A place whose perfection is such that an eternity does not get boring. It's a place where you could spend a million years and the joy that you would experience is as potent as, as the joy that you felt on this first day. And it's because God is there. This is where Adam and Eve were, but it was Adam and Eve's rebellion that made it impossible for them to be in the presence of God. They were cast out of the garden because a just God cannot have unjust people in his midst go unpunished. And so this began the presence of sin and rebellion expanding out into a once good world that God had created. What once was paradise was now a place of pain, suffering, injustice, and evil. One of the ways that you can see the Bible is as a record of man's rebellion and evil expanding and evolving into this good world that God had made. And we are both heirs and perpetrators of that evil. I think we can all attest to the ways that our personal sin has impacted our families, our friends, our co-workers, our husbands, wives, our children. And we, like Adam and Eve, must be cast away from the presence of God for our sin. And that sin cannot be forgiven by our own desire to do good, but the good news of the gospel is God's willingness to pay the cost of our sin by establishing his presence on earth living a life that deserved to be in the presence of God, yet taking the punishment 
of one who must be cast away from his presence. And this is the love of God that he holds out to those who wish to experience his presence. So again, I want to ask the non-Christians, do you see and desire God's sin-reversing presence in the life of Jesus? And God is not passively hoping for you to come to him. The fact that you're here is God reaching out to you to repent of your sin and to call on him. So I would encourage you to speak to the members of this church to not only learn more about the gospel message, but also to see the presence of God being lived out in the life of the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and hearing about your presence. And I pray that it would be a reminder for us that even as you may feel distant as we read your word or pray to you, or even when we come to the gathering of the saints that you still feel distant, that these promises would be a reminder that you are near, and that you continue to, to pour out your blessings upon us, and that we would have the sensitivity and the eyes to see that you are, um, that you are with us. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.